Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisela. Hi, this is Aisela with Business is Unusual, and today I am here with Kelsey Autos, and we're going to talk about uh, her work as a sustainability copywriter, uh, but before we dive into that, also, welcome, Kelsey. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I want to ask, uh, what's the last artist you got lost in? I am right on board with everybody else who has just gone down the Taylor Swift rabbit hole. She is running the world right now and is doing some really incredible stuff. Um, I think Midnight's was the last one I got lost in. But right before that was Noah Khan. And if you haven't heard of him yet, if you like kind of folksy poppy music, um, his stuff is absolutely brilliant. He's if His most popular one is a song called Stick Season. And we just saw him live and he is actually better live than he is recorded. So can't, can't recommend him enough. That's awesome. I, I remember when I first understood that live distinction, because yeah, like some folks listening to them, it's just, it's great. And there's something about being around people that like an artist. Right, right. Their energy and their presence. I actually remember that moment too, that I was like, whoa. And that was um, the first time I saw, I was at a, a festival and I saw Bruno Mars and I was like, whoa, this is incredible. Like he brings a whole different presence to his music that if you're driving around in your car and you're listening to it, like it's a bop, it's good, but mm-hmm. it's uh, definitely not the same as seeing him live and, and feeling all the energy he brings. So yeah. And be, yeah. And just like you said, being with people that, that love that it's there's something about camaraderie I think too that's really nice tell us about sustainability copywriting and and you yeah absolutely I started copywriting a little bit over a year ago probably around a year and a half and in the copywriting program that I was in they told me that it was really important that I pick a niche and, and as a copywriter, you can kind of niche two different ways. You can niche horizontally or you can niche vertically. And a horizontal niche just basically means you write all different types of copy, website, email, social media, white papers, whatever it might be, blog posts, all across one specific industry. Whereas vertical niching says, I just do this one thing, like just blog posts, just white papers, just social media copy. Um, and I, I do it across a bunch of different industries. And it was actually the same summer um, that California had a bunch of really big, terrible fires and Oregon and Montana. And actually all the smoke kind of came together in this really terrible like bloom over the top of Denver, which is where I was living at the time. And it was this moment of climate dread that I was like, if I'm going to like live on this world and feel good about how I've left it. And also if I feel like I ever want to have children then I have to do something more than I have been doing because Colorado is a very active state. We're all outside. We're all doing things all the time, 30 degree weather. We're like, that's fine. Still good for a hike. And nobody was outside that summer because the air quality was so bad. It was worse than places like Shanghai and New Delhi. It was in like the top five worst air quality in the world for a couple of days. And so that was just like a really scary experience. And so after that happened, I just decided 
um, it was a pretty, pretty much a gut instinct that I was like, I think I just need a niche into sustainability and I need to see how I can use storytelling to help create a more sustainable planet and, and a bigger impact for the companies who are doing the work. So I knew that I was never going to create, you know, uh, a machine that could filter microplastics out of the ocean or like it's something that could, could um, compose plastic and make it into some nutrient rich dirt or something like that. That was never going to be me. But I knew that my ability to tell a story could help amplify the folks who were doing that work and help the general public access that information and make more sustainable changes on their own. I mean, the sto stories drive us, whether whether they're the stories we want to drive us or not, that the, the stories we choose, but they do, they drive us. So much of what we do comes from the stories we believe or tell. That is a, that's a powerful place to, to land, I think. Yeah, it's been really great for me so far. I've had um, a roster of pretty incredible clients and I, I just love that I get to support them in the work that they're doing. And it makes a big difference when you're writing for people. I think that you're really morally aligned with you. You have something at stake with them beyond just like a financial exchange. It's like, no, but I really believe that this can actually change the planet. And like, this is why you need it. And so it's been a whole different level of buy-in to what my clients are doing compared to folks who might just be writing a launch just to make some money and then move on with, with their day, which is fine too. It just wasn't, it was never going to be a good fit for me. But there's lots of ways to be. And I think there's a wisdom in understanding the way that that's going to work best for you. Like you, you need to be, it sounds like really attached to the sense of impact or meaning that, that you're involved in. I relate to that. I've already a little bit answered this, but what, what impact do you seek to have doing this work? I mean, obviously there's the impact you have for your clients and also that larger impact and both would be great if you feel up to answering that. Yeah. So um, my ultimate goal, I think, in being a sustainability copywriter is to write myself out of a niche for one day for sustainability to be so ingrained into the work that I'm doing that it's no longer a niche. It's just day-to-day -day life. And I'll have to re-niche and have a small identity crisis, potentially. Yeah. And so that's kind of my bigger, like, I will know that I've been successful when I basically run myself out of a niche. From a client standpoint, though, I really especially love working with like sustainable B2Bs that are having really big impact. Folks that are in like the, the building space who are saying, okay, how do we do things like concrete and steel and wood better? How do we make that more sustainable? And in the regenerative ag space too. I was writing uh, for a while for smaller B2C companies, which is great. And the more people we can get using shampoo bars and composting in their homes is awesome. But we need really widespread industrial change in order to, to make the big changes that we need to make in order to save our planet. And so that's been a really big pivot for me in the last six months was to say, okay, how do I really double down and focus on these clients who are doing these really big, impactful things? And for me, I like being able to write for clients who are doing something materialistically that I can like hold, describe, smell. It's just a different experience in writing about it versus maybe writing for like a SaaS company or something like that where the product is a little bit less tangible. It's not something that we'll ever be able to hold in our hands. And so, and so that's part of, that's basically my new determining success is if I'm working with those clients and what we're doing to make the work that they're doing just the norm. 
That makes sense. And that, and yeah, right. Like both pieces are really important. We need to disrupt the industrial or the, the industry issues. I, I feel like, and you probably speak to this more effectively than I can. One of the things that I came to understand more concretely is that there's a lot of places within the realm of sustainability where we create sort of this idea that like people can change. Like if we all just recycled enough, everything would be better instead of saying, well, why didn't businesses who created these products also have a plan for what to do with them? And why isn't, why don't we hold as a government, as an entity, as a community, whatever, why don't we hold businesses to a standard of that's what they have to do. They have to actually be responsible for what they're creating and putting out in the world. If you go to the store and you want to buy something without plastic on it, good luck. And, and most of that plastic can't be recycled. And you're like, yeah, I could spend all my life like that lady in New York who basically lived a year without doing it, but like shouldn't do anything else. Yeah. That's a lot. It was sort of a question. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is a great place to plug to. Um, if you've never checked out a zero waste store, just Google it, find the zero waste store in your community and the neighboring community and, and go just talk to them and maybe buy something unexpected that you've never tried before. Mm -hmm. I started trying to tackle the, the plastic in my own life one piece at a time, probably two or three years ago. And it's just been a really wonderful experience to learn about these like local stores that provide zero waste options and you don't have to feel bad and you can go in there. I, I think one of my favorite examples, and I don't know if people will be able to see this video or not, but I got a chapstick that I found the first chapstick that I've ever found by a brand called Poppy and Pout that was huh. compostable. And I about lost my mind. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool that this is like a zero waste option. And zero waste beauty has come a really long ways too. And there are a lot of options out there that they used to not be too. The accountability of those who are creating things. Yes. And I think it's, it's interesting to me that we have, you know, these conversations around, there's a lot of protectiveness around plasticness, plastic and making these changes that are like, well, it's the American way of life that you have these choices. But the reality is we don't really have any, a lot of choices beyond plastic. And so organizations that are really pushing the envelope to say, hey, but like, what if we did create some other choices? What if shampoo did come as a bar in a box? What if razors weren't plastic anymore? What if we took a step back and did something more like we used to and see how consumers react to that? It's basically the shift that we need to make in order to actually have choices. Cause right now the idea of having choices is less of a, the idea of having choices is less of like an American right and an opportunity, but more of just a defense against the way that we've been doing things. That's been the most economically viable for the last 50, 70 years, rather, rather than actually having it be about choice. And the responsibility piece that comes in is, it's, I mean, it's frankly a shame. I think you and I both feel the same on this, that, yeah, that it's, there's so much pressure on the consumer to make the right decision, but 
How can you even make the right decision when the marketing tells you, well, this is made from ocean-bound plastic. Well, this is made from plastic that was sent to landfills. Well, this is made from 100% recycled plastic. Well, this is made from virgin plastic. Like, it just requires a level of like education and understanding that is frankly unrealistic for, for a lot of people who aren't really willing to take the time to dive in to say like, hey, even if we hold like folks accountable for just like a couple of like the worst options that, that are out there, then how does that shift our economy and how does it make our planet more sustainable versus like trying to put all this pressure on people who are already overwhelmed and stretched too thin. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I know I used to, I when my kids were home, they're younger. I occasionally say, all right, I'm going to bike to work. And inevitably, anytime I chose to bike to work, there was an emergency and I get called from the school. I will be there in an hour. Even though I'm 10 mm-hmm. minutes away because I have to bike home, get my car, bike uphill. I was just, and I was so discouraged by that, but there wasn't a good public transit option. And it was like, and so I finally was like, I guess this, I'm not doing that. Like I don't, it's, it becomes too burdensome because of all the other things I have to accomplish as a parent or working parent. And at the time I took that shame on myself, right? Like, oh, I'm just failing the planet. If I would bike, mm-hmm. everything would be better, right? Yeah. Because that's what we do. I think a lot of people do that. I think it was John Oliver actually was talking about the recycling and, and the ways in which that was kind of like a grift because the companies would, you know, kind of like push out, like they did a lot of the advertising to say, oh, people need to recycle. Absolutely. We do. We need to do our part, but we didn't actually create this. We don't have a choice if we're living in this modern world where we kind of, this is what's offered to us. And then we're kind of shamed about it, but actually there needs to be more of a group effort. And, a you know, I don't know, it's hard to say if it's regulation or just industry. Like, I think what you're doing is really important because sometimes we can force industry to change when people start to have options and choose them that are outside the current modality. There was a, I work with an organization and we did a series of climate interviews with people. And this one guy was saying, one of the things I asked people is, what do you, what would you like to see different? And this one guy said, I'd like to see us stop getting down on people for not doing something. Just assume people are trying. And if they're not trying, assume they just need information. Don't, don't leave finger pointing like you don't recycle or whatever, because you don't really know what they're up against. And that's not helpful because it's not really them. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think also to, to touch on what you're saying too, is I've had multiple friends of mine be like, you would be ashamed of how many paper towels we go through a day or like, Kelsey, like, don't look at blah, blah, blah. We're so sorry. We don't do this and that. And frankly, like, I think if anybody gets a pass on not doing climate work in their own home, it's parents. Like if you have little kids, the rest of the world should be carrying you. And it's fine if you eat on paper plates every once in a while. It's just, it's just that too, to, to your guilt of like, well, I'm not riding my bike. Like you're a mom, the rest of us who don't get like, we need to ride a bike to work. And it needs to not be like this pressure that's got this pressure that's put on folks. And I, I love that framing of like, let's stop blaming them when they really, they just don't know. And you don't know what they have stacked against them. You know, it's easy to judge the person buying a case of water in line at the grocery store, but if they don't have access to clean water at their home, then they're just doing what they need to take care of themselves. Right. And it's, and you know, we don't, 
and this is a completely other conversation, but we don't really have a human centered cultural like uh, way of being in, in my opinion here. And so it, it, it really is often making the best of difficult choices or, you know, what you can afford or, you know, there's so many, so many factors. And so really just saving our energy for helping each other as opposed to judging, I think is a big, I'm a big proponent of that. And, and, you know, saying, Oh, let me see what I could do to support this situation. When you're successful, what do you think will be different in the world? You said you'd work yourself out of, of needing to do this niche work. Is it, is it that the information will be everywhere or that there will be actual changes? What do, how do you define that for yourself? Yeah. And maybe that does look like more choice, honestly, now that I'm like, now that we're in this podcast and I'm thinking about it, it's shifting some of my thinking that like, maybe it is more, more choice and like people being able to actually make informed decisions without it being quite so overwhelming with the worst options, no longer actually being an option. But when I think about it in like a utopian perspective, I'm like, wow, clean water, clean air, like healthy food that's accessible to all people, no more food deserts. Um, I have a, a, a really big passion for greenhouse gardening and vertical gardening. I think those industries, despite the fact they're kind of taking a licking right now, are super, super interesting. And I think will help us um, with the accessibility and food problem when it comes to food inequalities in our communities. I think I picture it as just folks being able to be taken care of and everyone having this higher quality of life because we're not living in places that are covered in litter. We're not living in places that are, don't have safe drinking water. We're not living in places where, you know, the wild, I think wildfires will always be a concern, but they're not as big of a concern as they are right now. It's exciting and hard to imagine all of us living in our little homes that are solar powered are just like sustainable in a way that's, um, kind of hard to imagine. And, and two, in that, whenever I do start to get kind of down about my climate dread or about, you know, the state of the world right now, I try to remind myself that there are folks like in school right now who are so passionate about this, who might have the key. Creating resources that we just don't have right now that we can't even picture what it looks like. We probably all kind of knew an electric car was coming, but it was shocking when we finally got an electric car. And so it's, it's shifts like that that you just can't really even anticipate are, are coming. And, and I think that gray matter of like what the future will look like is kind of where I try to lean into and, and what makes me really excited mm -hmm. about the field that I'm working in is I am most excited for my next client who does something that I have never heard of that changes everything. I, interestingly, I had a woman on my first season, Marin Krengs, she's a climate storyteller and uh, she's an artist and it was really interesting because she wanted to understand where the ref what caused the refugee crisis so she thought I'll, I'll i'll live in my car for a few months and do some interviews and she ended up living in her car for four years and she went to something like 30 countries it was to just interview different refugees and she said the biggest thing that she found actually is a possible solution is hemp that a lot of the climate refugee issues are because of our need for paper and the number of forests that we've cut down and hemp grows faster. So she wrote a book called H is for Hemp, and it's full of all these really intriguing stories from indigenous people all over the world. And it's, she printed it on hemp paper, which apparently was very difficult to do. 
because there's not an industry for that. I, when I met her, I, she had published a book and she was in this hemp community. And, and I was like, well, how did that happen? And she's like, I was investigating the climate refugee crisis. So the stuff like that too, that's like an old solution, right? Like hemp is one of the plants that they, they found it in the Great Wall of China. They feel like they, they say it was referenced in the Odyssey. Like there's all of this history to this plant that has the ability to be a paper product and clothing and doesn't use as much water. So it's a, I think that's also intriguing that there's a lot of stuff that we've forgotten, I guess, or mm-hmm. deliberately left yeah. out for one reason or another. And a big shift back to like the way things were done to be like composting again and growing your own food and um, making your houses more sustainable on their own versus relying on things like energy grids and, and sewer grids and things like that is, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild that the two, like we're trying to take step forwards and at the same time we're simultaneously taking steps back and both are needed mm-hmm. to save the planet. Yeah. Like that, that balance of, of remembering wisdom while also finding new ways to maybe implement it or, or increase the technology and the opportunities. Yeah. So what's the best advice that you have received or given or both or either? The best advice that I have received or given, I think the best advice, especially when it comes to like climate sustainability, things like that, for me at least is that like no change is too small because oftentimes it it's not the only change you're going to make. Mm-hmm. Like when you make one, it leads to another and another and another. And I think that's the part that's left out a lot of times when we talk about how no change is too small is that it's often a domino effect. Mm-hmm. And it just takes one domino to start that line and they may happen slowly or quickly. And it's not necessarily to say that like your whole life is going to be transformed. But, but within the climate space, like if you feel like it's too much and too overwhelming and you can't do anything, just start with like one little thing and you'll turn around a year later and be like, oh my gosh, look at all these things that I've changed. Mm-hmm. I was in a completely different industry doing a completely different thing. And now, you know, I, I use 60% less plastic than I used to. And I also like write for climate change companies. You're like, how did, how did this end up here? And it's just kind of, you know, I, I think that is, we don't give enough weight, I think, to the little changes that you can make that, that. Are, are maybe a little bit less pressure to than, than we give it credit for. That's really, I think that's a really great reminder and to whatever step you can take, take it and, and then see what happens and it's okay. Cause like what to go back to what we were talking about before, I do think when people learn about things and they care, they can get overwhelmed with, I can't fix all of it. And I do feel like, and maybe you could speak to this a little bit as well, that I see that happen in a lot of industries and a lot of places where folks are sort of, they get despaired really quickly if they feel like they cannot actually fix things. But these larger social issues like poverty and uh, climate change, they require little changes from lots of people. Like it's no one, I mean, if someone was strong enough to actually make the changes happen, then we'd have another problem, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know, how do you, how do you message that, that, it, you know, there's not, without it sounding too Pollyanna, I guess, because there's also, I think sometimes people get frustrated by that too. Like, oh, it's all going to, let's all work together. Yes. Kumbaya. And. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, complex problems require complex solutions, right? And, and addressing it from one side, all of the things that you just said, addressing it from one side is no, not going to fix the problem. 
I think it's the same with climate change that addressing it in one industry is is not going to stop us from from reaching perilous points in in our planet potentially. When we all are able to to come together and seek out solutions and be committed to those solutions, even if they don't happen within the time frame that we hope, then we give ourselves the opportunity to actually make meaningful change and find solutions that are probably a lot longer and complex than we're expecting. Yeah, which is, I think, too, part of the reason why I write across a couple of different industries is I like being a part of the solution from like a home building standpoint to an industrial building standpoint to a farming standpoint. I kind of get to see the, the solution in a bunch of different lights. And that's really exciting. I, w- I was going to ask you a little bit about greenwashing. I feel like that's a, that's a thing. I don't know if you have a feeling about it. And it, for, for our listeners that don't know what greenwashing is, I'm going to say what my understanding and then I'll let Kelsey uh, correct me. But basically there's been this sort of like push to evaluate companies on multiple factors. They call it ESG um, and a sustainable, and I'm going to forget what they all are, but the, the G is like this, the, the green impact, how sustainable, how much responsibility are they taking for waste and impact and all of that. And there's a, a lot of companies that have been either revealed to be or accused of making bold statements about sustainability efforts while not actually doing anything or doing the things they said they were going to do or having the results they claim. And that's been lumped under this concept of greenwashing, which is sort of to look like you care or you're doing it, but not actually be doing it. Yeah, I think that, I think that was a great explanation. Nothing to correct. Yes, nailed it. A plus plus. Um, yeah, yeah. Greenwashing is a thing for sure. I th- I mean, as long as we're living in a profit first world, greenwashing will be a thing because anytime somebody sees that somebody is starting to gain traction because of their sustainability efforts, they're going to say, "How can we do this in the most like in in a feasible way?" That maybe maybe doesn't hurt our bottom line. That maybe allows us to look really good and get more sales, and and because that's what we're pushing for. And I think if you, the number one thing that I look for when it comes to greenwashing, when it comes to my clients, is like who is doing this for the right reasons. Like there's a lot of people that are jumping on board to do sustainable things, and I think that they need to. Like in a hundred, like we have to. We have to see these big industry shifts and these large contributors start to do their part. But I think a lot about like the difference between like Target and then your local like zero waste store. That your local zero waste store got into it because like, yeah, they make money, but also they got into it because they were like, this is a better way for us to offer options to people to live a less wasteful life. Whereas Target, who's maybe now making that shift, I would like to think that there is somebody at Target who's really passionate about sustainability and is leading that charge. But ultimately, the reason why companies are doing it now is because they are trying to capitalize on the extra money that comes in from younger generations who have started to put pressure on companies in order to get their money. They have to do these sustainable things. And so I think when you are looking at greenwashing, the first level that you can take a look at and that I try and look at is what was this like at inception? Was this product, company, organization, group created in order to help save the planet 
or were they created in order to make money or provide a different service for folks? And there's nothing wrong with people who provide a different service. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that by any means. And I'm not trying to say that you can't start off providing a service and then realize that you're ready to help out with climate change and make a big pivot. I think that's totally possible as well. But what I am saying is that's the easiest place to start is what were their original intentions when it came to creating their, their business? And was it actually something that was meant to support the planet or was it something that was meant to help them make a lot of money? Mm-hmm. And then from there, it gets a little bit harder because recognizing who has made a, like a genuine, honest, intentional pivot has to come with a lot of transparency and a lot of businesses don't want to give that to you. I don't want to just know that you're planting one tree for me. What I want to know is how many trees have you already planted and where are they and how are those trees doing now and what are we doing to make sure that they're still alive? And also what plastic are you using? What is this packaging that's going to be sent to me when I order the product from you and what's your plan for the next 10 years? Because if you're just telling me you're planting a tree for every order, that says to me you've hopped on the bandwagon and you're doing the bare minimum in order to look good and increase your sales. Whereas you're not actually trying to create a transformation. And the clients that I work with, I like to really seek out clients who are really trying to make a very genuine transformation. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to have started in this space, but that does mean that when they made this that pivot, they said, you know what, like, yes, we are still sending these things out in styrofoam. Here's how we're going to eliminate it by these dates. And these are the things we're testing right now. And the scary part about that for companies is that then you have the opportunity to admit that you didn't make it Mm -hmm. and you were wrong. But we are going to have to see some of that realness from these companies who weren't originally created in order to protect the planet in order to get our money. So even I would rather see a company fail once or twice and then make the shifts and not being able to adhere to the timeline and have some accountability to their name and to what they're doing rather than a company who's just skirting the question and trying to avoid it in order to just make money. I think we would, I think most of us would feel that way Mm -hmm. too. I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you feel differently. I would be curious. No, I actually, I think it's a really important point that if genuine change, I mean, if you just look at it from a personal level, right? Like genuine change requires that you, there is some space for stumbling, like, you know, I can think of so many things in my experience as a as a, a consultant, as a mom, as a person in the world where I learned something. And, and the minute that you learn something and you have awareness, that doesn't mean you have the skill or knowledge to implement that new awareness. And so there has to be space between the awareness and success at implementation where you're learning and getting knowledge and you know, I understand why people, myself included, will be skeptical of corporations. Because there is also this awareness that they they invest the money and the time and the expertise and the things that matter most to them. So if they make a lot of stumbles, there's a little bit of like, yeah, did you, are you really prioritizing this? So I do understand that reaction. And at the same time, there's also the reality. I, I was listening to a climate change presentation that in a September, and Chomsky was speaking And he said, the one thing that we did really badly when we first started working on climate change and in a lot of different things is we will say, oh, this thing isn't working. Let's get rid of it before we have an understanding of how to replace it. And so it like, for example, you know, recycling plastic, it's an issue, but we don't want people to stop taking actions in the system that they're in just because it's not optimal. It's so have it's sort of like that change management of how do we 
both help educate folks like this isn't maybe the best way and sim with businesses and here's how to get to this new way because I do think that happens a lot where it's like okay cool I need to do something different but everything I suggest you're like oh that's not good and then they get discouraged whether it's you know because ultimately businesses are run by people and people have to be engaged inspired and invested in order to actually make a real change yeah, absolutely. That that's really well said. And I love that framing of like it takes time to like learn something and implement it. And also, yeah, there there's a friction and a tension that exists there between like businesses actually creating real tangible change and businesses just kind of skirting around it to make a profit and, and where the failure and mistakes lie in there. So I think that was a really great point. I I love that. When you, I think what I heard you saying is that you also work, like while you do sustainability writing, you'll work with companies that aren't necessarily sustainability companies as part of helping them to surface and explain where they're, where they're in their industry in terms of this process. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. There are definitely some lines that I draw just, and, and this is young sustainability copywriters will come in and ask me frequently. They'll be like, how do you, but like, how do you know they're sustainable? And you do your vetting the best you can and you make the decisions the best you can. And then you just have to move forward with your choices at the end of the day and, and change when you know better. But I have definitely had clients approach me. I've had oil and gas companies approach me and ask me to help them with ESG reports. I've had people who have framed themselves as like a sustainable home cleaners approach me and ask to help them with their emails and everything is being sent out in plastic. It's, and you just have to draw, I think as, as a young writer, if there are any of those listening out there, you kind of just have to draw your moral lines with where you feel aligned and accept that some people, it might not be enough for them and accept that it might be too far for some people and do what you feel like you need to do at the end of the day. And at least that was important to me because as a copywriter, you can help a lot of people make a lot of money. And if you aren't careful, you can help a lot of people who maybe aren't doing the best things in the world, make a lot of money. And at the end of the day, you don't want to look back and think, wow, I really championed brands who we're not great to the planet or we're not great to people or who didn't provide like a really genuine, like great experience for the folks who are, who are buying for it. I think most of us want to make a positive impact with the work that we're doing. Thank you. Now that's really well said. And it, it's, it's that trick of, and I, my favorite quote actually around that is my Angelou where she's saying, you know, do what you know until you know better and then do better. Right. You, 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 you do your best, you learn, I'm guessing probably over the years, you'll learn different ways to vet that, that would get you different kinds of information. Like, and, and yeah, like you're just, you're going to do your best to be able to achieve your goals and recognize that sometimes you're going to be like, Oh, maybe I'll do this differently next time. And that's okay. I think that's the other part. It's a little bit like we're talking about with learning. Like it has to be okay to learn and grow. Like most of us would say, I, I think, you know, think of something you believe very strongly 10 years ago that many people have something that today they no longer believe it strongly or they've completely, you know, walked away from that idea because we all learn, we get new information and then we say, oh, wow, I'm going to do this from this different perspective. And it's very human. And so it's, it's like, how do we honor that without like also just in, you know, when it's weaponized or manipulated to, to make it, you know, I, I feel like that's the thing we run into that skepticism with com companies where they're like, look at what we're doing. That's good. Right. And then you're like, oh, no, 
So I don't know where that balance is. I think if I did, I could make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So that's a question. If you want to answer that question for everybody, you're welcome. To no scouts. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm sure some folks are listening, and they're gonna be like, "Ooh, I want to know more about what you're up to. I want to follow your blog, or I know someone that could use a copywriter, or I want to know more about what copywriting is." So how do they get? connected with you and what you're doing you can find me on linkedin kelsey autos or you can find my website www.kelseyautoscopywriting.com i'm assuming it's going to be linked in some sort of show notes because my my name's just spelled weird my name was never meant for podcasts (laughs) (laughs) my first name is spelled weird my last name is spelled weird. my middle name none of my names will ever be spelled correctly for the rest of my life and that's fine yeah if you're a sustainable b2b that is looking to basically take your content marketing and make it into a really lucrative funnel i would love to have a conversation with you so we can increase the amount that you're making and the impact with blogs case studies and white papers those are the three things that i specialize in and really love writing but i i have a soft spot for a really great script or a company that's doing amazing things that needs website copy so if any of those sound like you head over to the show notes hunt down my website see how funny my name is spelled i know you all are curious now (laughs) Um, and you can check it out. Do you work with nonprofits as well or primarily for-profit businesses or? Yeah, absolutely. I work with, non- I've worked with a handful of nonprofits um, as well as for-profit. I'm just interested in anybody that's really trying to make the world a better place specifically within the sustainability vein. But if you do something with the LGBTQ community or that uplifts women or folks of color, there's no way that I will be able to turn you away or animals really. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just a big softie. Yeah. So if, if you fit within any of those buckets and are really tangibly making the world a better place beyond planting one tree for every purpose, you should talk. Thanks. That's a great. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great experience.